0: In this episode, I am joined by Amina, who is the CEO of the Sustainable Apparel Coalition. We talk a lot about the SAC's tools, specifically the HIC index, and we discuss how startups to small to medium-sized businesses can really take advantage of their resources. There's a lot in this episode, so let's dive in. Welcome to Recloseted Radio. This is the top-rated podcast for slow fashion founders. Whether you're thinking about launching a slow fashion brand, scaling an existing clothing brand, or making a brand more environmentally friendly, we have you covered. I'm your host, Selena Ho, the founder and CEO of ReCausevid. Each week, I'm sharing my proven strategies or interviewing industry experts. Without any further ado, let's get started. As a Sustainable Apparel Coalition CEO, Amina is responsible for the overall leadership and management of the organization. She leads the executive team and works with the board of directors to develop and implement the organization's strategic plan. This episode was really interesting because the SAC does so much for the fashion industry and we talk a lot about that There can also be no argument that the fashion industry needs to be more transparent. We need to have better traceability. And of course we need to continuously work on our sustainability goals. And I really think that the SAC helps us do that because so many different companies and organizations and brands are rallying together towards a common objective and goal. And that's a really big feat because it's really hard to get these people in the same room and the same table. And so I am always a big fan of what the SAC does. That being said, nobody is perfect, and I always talk about how progress is a lot more important than perfection, and the important thing is just to continuously improve once you get more information, and I really feel like that's what the SAC does. With that being said, I do know that the SAC has been in the media and in the news recently, and not all of it has been super positive coverage. And that's just the name of the game as you grow and you scale and you get more eyeballs and you, you know, just, it just happens. And so unfortunately, we couldn't get into specifics. However, Amina did share what the SAC is doing and how the SAC is continuously improving and driving the bar and pushing the bar for the industry. So if you're curious, definitely listen to this episode i also wanted to share that the sustainable apparel coalition is having their 2022 annual meeting and this is going to be in person which is very exciting it is happening on november 1st to 2nd and this will be held in singapore so if you want more information about this you can visit the sac website we will have links in the show notes as well I will also be at this event, which will be very exciting. I'm going to be moderating a panel. And so if you're thinking of coming, please DM us at Out on Instagram. I would love to meet you in person and chat with you. And lastly, I wanted to let you know that we are opening spots back up for our sustainability consulting services. With our sustainability consulting services, this is a bespoke customized package that we will develop with you after really figuring out what your pain points and challenges are. And so we are equipped to help you set up your sustainability strategy. We can help you assess where you're at we can set up your reporting we can do analyses for you we can also publish a sustainability report we can help you source new sustainable materials and or ethical manufacturers and so really anything you need help with we are equipped to do exactly just that and so if you want to find out more information you can visit www.readcloseted.com consulting the link will also be in the show notes do not snooze though make sure you check out that page if you are interested asap because we only work with a limited amount of clients every single year we're completely booked for this year however we are starting now to talk to people to fill up for next year So visit Recloseted.com slash consulting for more information. And on that page, you can also book a complimentary consultation with me. And so we can chat together, see if it's a good fit to work together. And so don't snooze. Again, the link is www.recloseted.com slash consulting. And now let's dive into the episode with Amina. Well, welcome Amina to Reclosited Radio. I am so excited to have you and so honored to have you here. Thank you for spending the time to chat with me and with our community.
1: Thanks, Selena. It's really great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Of course. And so I always kick things off with the same question, but can you give us a little bit details about how you got to where you are today? Can you give us a quick overview of your career and what that looks like?
1: Sure. So my name is Amina Razvia. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, and I essentially lead our executive team and engage with our board of directors to both develop and implement the SAC's strategic plan. I've been in this role for about three years, since 2019. And prior to that, I was the Vice President of Membership at the SAC. But I have um, been around the SAC since the very beginning. So Prior to working at the SAC, I used to work at Gap, Inc., and I led their environmental initiatives, um, helped them to develop their environmental strategy, and Gap was a founding member of the SAC, so I've actually been involved with the SAC and the community and with the Higgindex tools pretty much since day one, so it's been really exciting, and it's been quite a journey to just engage with this community and see how it's grown and, and how it's evolved over time.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. You've been there since day zero, and so for folks that don't know—and I don't think there's many of us—but for anyone that doesn't know what the Sustainable Apparel Coalition is or this SAC, can you give us a quick overview?
1: Sure. So I might kind of just go back a little bit to its founding because I think it's just such a, a really interesting story. Where in you know 2009, 2010, Patagonia and Walmart got together, and they. Had this really pretty radical idea of bringing their peers and their competitors from across the industry to collaborate on aligning a standardized assessments for sustainable performance. So, both from a social and environmental perspective. And what was pretty radical at the time is that you had companies who were really like just doing their own thing. You know, they had different assessments, they had different programs. And I think there was a real recognition that the industry wasn't really making the kind of progress that, you know, they thought that it could or that it should be making. And so, you know, they brought together every part of the value chain. So not just brands and retailers, but brands, retailers, manufacturers, you know, other NGOs, industry associations, service providers, academics to really say, how do we align from a pre-competitive space on what it means to, you know, Um, determined social and environmental metrics and performance, right? So it was really saying, how do we ensure that we can actually look at these things in the same way, comparing them from an apples to apples perspective so that we can actually get to the thing that really matters, which is how you drive positive impact through collective action. So that's a little bit of the founding. And since then we've developed the HigaNex, which is essentially a suite of tools that measures across the entire value chain, social and environmental performance at every stage. So that's from materials to facility uh, practices to brand and retail management practices to, you know, the entire product lifecycle. So it's a it's a suite of tools. Uh, And we engage with the entire industry, leveraging, you know, expertise from within the membership and within the community to really try to build the best in class tools, you know, based on current science and evolve them to not only meet industry needs, but to also drive greater performance across the industry.
0: Yeah, and I want to dive into the Hague Index a little bit more. But before we get there, I feel like the fashion industry traditionally was very secretive and a lot of brands were very hush-hush around their production and where they get their design and all these different things. And so I think it's such a big accomplishment and feat that the SAC was able to bring everyone together. And can you speak to a little bit about how that happened and what that was like?
1: Yeah, you know, I think what's been really interesting as I reflect on the SAC's history is that. Those first several meetings were pretty jarring to be in them, right? Just to be like, okay, so we're sitting across the table, you know, from our competitors and we're talking about this and we're trying to figure out, you know, how do we align on certain things? It was both jarring, but it was also so inspiring, right? Because it really felt like the industry was trying to overcome some of those issues of the past and figure out how we drive progress together. And I remember leaving one of those first meetings and thinking, well, this is both like one of the craziest things and one of the most amazing things at the same time, right? And I do think that the reason the SAC was able to do that was because a couple of things. One is we had some really core principles at the very beginning, which were around, we we had to make sure that every part of the value chain was there. So it wasn't just brands and retailers. It was brands, retailers, manufacturers, like I said, all sitting around the table talking about these issues. And it was from a pre-competitive space. So it was really saying, look, these are not the things that we actually compete on, right? Social and environmental metrics and performance is like, that's not what we're, what we're competing on because we're trying to drive positive change in this industry. And I think the last thing was really that just no individual company was going to do it on their own, right? So if we were going to really drive systemic change across the industry, it had to be together. And I, I think that that was one of the really galvanizing things about the SAC was this recognition that we could actually do more good together than any one company could do alone, right? And that if we could align on these things, um, you know, if we could align on the metrics that actually really mattered, if we could align on the ways that we could come together to drive impact, that we could have real positive change. And I think that that's been one of the most inspiring things about the SAC for me, and I think many in the SAC community, is that we continue to have that conversation, right? We continue to say, okay, look, we're not doing enough. How do we move quicker, faster, et cetera. But I'm sure as you can imagine, you know, kind of uh, bringing the entire industry together to collaborate isn't always easy. And driving that kind of consensus isn't always easy. And it often takes more time, but it's really important because what it does is it creates the kind of buy-in that you actually need to drive progress.
0: Yeah, and I completely agree with you. It's unfair and also unrealistic for one company to carry the entire industry on their back. And so it's great that we have all these different companies bought into the process. They're involved in the beginning. And that's when we really can have that systemic change, to your point. And so diving into the HIG Index, can you share a little bit more about the five tools and really what you're hoping to achieve with these tools? Yeah,
1: sure. So the like I said, the HIG Index is actually a suite of tools and it has five different tools. So it has the HIG Facility Environmental Module, the HIG Facility Social Labor Module, the HIG Brandon Retail Module, the HIG... Material Sustainability Index, and the HIG Product Module. So there's lots of acronyms in there. So, you know, many people call it like the HIG FEM, but each of these tools are really specific because what they do is they actually measure social and environmental impact at different stages throughout the entire, you know, apparel and footwear process. So looking at, you know, the HIG Material Sustainability Index looks at materials You know, the facility tools actually look at facility processes. Uh, The brand and retail tools actually look at kind of brand processes and overall management. And then the product module actually looks at kind of products, you know, and over the entire life cycle. And I think when we were developing the Higg Index it was really important for us to look at these tools differently because they serve different purposes and they're actually meant for different audiences, right? So the Higg facility tools are really meant for facilities for manufacturers to help them understand and assess their impact both from a social and an environmental perspective. And the brand and retail module, you know, is a different assessment with a different set of questions because it's meant to assess brand and retail performance, right? And you can't really create like one tool that serves all audiences and serves all purposes. And so having this suite of tools that helps a company really actually understand its impact end to end from the products it makes to where those um, products are actually being made within the supply chain to its own practices is really important. And it's something that we encourage companies to do is to not just look at you know, one part of this, but to look at their impact holistically. So they actually understand what is their impact and how can they um, use that insight, the data and the insight to help them drive change. Uh, You know, for some companies, it it may be more of an issue with regards to materials or facilities or kind of their own practices. And so it's really important for them to have different tools to help them assess that and then go from there towards driving performance improvement.
0: Yeah, I love it. And a lot of our clients use the HIG index, we've helped them fill it out and all that stuff. And so we know firsthand how great it is, but also how much goes into it. And so I know a lot of our listeners have smaller teams, smaller budgets, they might be just starting out, but they still might want to measure their impact and know what they're aiming towards. So for folks listening that want to use one of the HIG index tools, but they're not a gap, they're not a, you know, they're not a big conglomerate. Do you have any advice to them? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So the first thing is that um, for small, I mean, our tools were really built for for all size companies, right? To help them, you know, just understand where they are and figure out where to go from there. And for small to medium enterprises, you don't necessarily have to be a member of the SEC to actually leverage and use the tools. I mean, many of the facilities that use the tools now are not SAC members. They actually just use one of the modules the either the Hague Facility Environmental Module or the Hague Facility Social Labor Module to just assess and understand their own kind of practices. And I think that for us, it's really important that the tools accommodate, you know, everyone on their journey, wherever they are. So if you're a small company, just starting out to someone who's a bigger company and much more advanced, the tools are meant to help support that journey. I think sometimes it can be overwhelming if you try to use all the tools all at once. So often what I do is I, as I often tell companies that it's important to kind of start to align the tools with your own strategy right as a company and as a business. So, you know, if you really need to understand more around your supply chain partners, like start with one tool and start leveraging it. Um, I always tell, you know, brands to start looking at the brand and retail module to help them understand, you know, just overall where your impacts are. Um, the material sustainability index is really helpful to assess your material portfolio, but the more that you can actually align that and integrate with your, that with your own kind of business strategy is where I think you're going to. To get the most success and also where as a company you'll often get the most buy-in and the most support from across the business to help roll these tools out right so i think it's important for companies to start somewhere but i think it's also important for them to kind of pick where they're starting so that they can actually you know get the buy-in get the engagement get the integration and then progress from there um the other thing I will say is that the SAC community is just an incredible source of like knowledge and best practice because you have not just big companies, but you do have a lot of smaller companies who have been using these tools for years and are often just such a great source of not only inspiration, but help and support for like where they started. When I was at Gap, I, at the very beginning one of the great things about the SAC community is that I was connected to, you know, similar colleagues at different companies who were trying to do the same thing. And so the ability to be able to connect with them and ask them a little bit about, you know, where they were, what they were doing, how they did that, how it was successful was actually a huge value. And I think it's something that the SAC community supports wholeheartedly and actually helping other companies on that journey as well. So, you know, I, I often tell people like, don't, don't try to use everything all at once like pick something and start somewhere but also leverage the community to help understand you know what will make it successful knowing that every company is a little bit different but that there's a lot of lessons already learned that can help companies move forward much more quickly.
0: Yeah, I love that and I always talk about to picking your priorities and picking and choosing your battles. So to your point, if it's materials you want to start with, like, let's start there and then expand because it doesn't happen overnight. You're not going to all of a sudden be perfect or have everything filled out and have all the information and be super transparent overnight. So it takes time. And I think a lot of times people put a lot of emphasis on doing it perfectly, too. And that's just I don't think that doesn't exist. It's all about being imperfectly perfect in this stage. So, yeah, I think that's really helpful. And I was also hoping you could talk a little bit about improvements and changes that that. SAC is making? I know that recently there's been a lot going on in the media. And so how do you ensure that the tools are reflective of what the industry needs to be and what we should be measuring?
1: Yeah, so it's a great question. I mean, our tools are constantly evolving, you know, you know, when I was at Gap, I we were leveraging the HIC Facility and Environmental Module, like version 1.0, and it's progressed significantly. And I think part of um, what's been great about the tools and the tool development process is that we do engage our members and stakeholders to constantly evolve the tools based on a couple of things, based on kind of current best science, but also based on how the industry itself is evolving um, and what it needs and use. Right. So as the tools are used. We get a lot of information and a lot of really great feedback about what is and what isn't working in the tools and how the tools can evolve or adapt to meet different use cases, etc. You know, to your point around the ability for smaller companies to use the tools in the past couple of iterations, that's actually one of the things we've tried to address is the brand and retail module, as I'm sure you're aware, you know, can be a little overwhelming. And so how do you make that um, much more accessible to small media to small to medium enterprises in a way that helps them just get started. And so we're constantly looking at how we evolve our tools to to be, you know, more applicable to what the industry needs and where the industry also needs to go, right? So we also want to make sure that the tools are best in class and that they actually push the industry towards greater performance improvement. And part of that is through use. Part of that is through kind of stakeholder feedback and engagement, you know. And part of that is also as the science evolves and new things actually get, you know, new metrics or new measures actually get incorporated because there is a an actual credible, uh, scientifically adopted way to measure something. So. We kind of look at all three of those things and we're constantly, you know, refining and evolving the tools.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so when a big fast fashion company joins that SAC, what is the goal for you and the team? Like what does good look like?
1: Yeah. So for us, um, you know, I really think of sustainability as a journey and I don't think of it as a it's an aspiration. It's you know, it's something that I really believe companies need to be working towards. It's, it may not necessarily be something that you ever get to or that you achieve, but that it's constantly about forward progress and momentum. So when any company joins, whether they're a brand, a retailer, or a manufacturer, for us, the goal is always around how do you just understand where you are and how do you continue to make progress forward? And I think that's really important be- for two reasons, one is that you know every company is on a sustainability journey, and I don't necessarily think it ever ends because often things will change and evolve, and we'll learn more and we'll find out more, which means that the tools evolve, and what companies need to do to either meet you know consumer regulate regulation et cetera is going to change and evolve as well. So I think it's important for us to look at it as a journey towards progress, not perfection, which has been one of the SEC kind of like, you know, mantras for a really long time. So when when a company joins, we really want to help support them. We want to help to help them to understand where are they now, what are the things that they should actually be implementing, and how do they make progress. We also have membership requirements so that when a company does join, the expectation is that they are going to continue to leverage the tools and make progress year over year towards greater performance improvement and reduction in impact. Our job, I think, is really to help support them on that journey and to pro- provide them not only with the tools, but also with the support and the resources and you know the connections within the community that support that journey.
0: Yeah, and you don't have to answer this if if you're not able to. But I'm just curious: have there ever been a situation where you had to revoke someone's membership because they're not making those improvements, or have you ever had those difficult conversations around, "Hey, you're not doing enough"? Like, has that happened?
1: Yeah. So we our membership requirements are have evolved over the past couple of years. And we're kind of in the first full year of this cycle where we're actually working with every single member in terms of where they are and what our expectations are about where they go. And that's really important to to drive greater accountability, but it's also important from an engagement perspective to really engage with companies and understand where they are, what are the challenges, what are the barriers, what support and resources do they need to help move them forward. And we we do often have tough conversations, right? To really understand, okay, What will it take? And I think that that's important for us to continue to be able to have across the membership and across the industry so that we are all collectively moving this work and moving the industry forward.
0: And how do you decide what the benchmarks are? Like, do you collaborate with the company to see what's realistic or is there a standard across the board that most brands have to meet? Like, what does that look like? So our membership requirements were
1: actually determined with the board and with, you know, obviously, you know, feedback, et cetera. So our membership requirements are determined by the board and are really important part of the membership journey because we want to raise the bar and we want to set the bar high so that not only does being a member of the SAC, you know, mean something and there's some accountability, but that we are really driving the industry forward um, towards meaningful, positive action. So we, the, Those membership requirements will actually continue to evolve. And our hope and our expectation is that we can work with members on that journey and continue to move them, you know, towards greater levels of leadership within the industry and, you know, obviously reduction of of impact.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so are there any successes or case studies that you'd like to share with folks? I think it's always nice to hear some good news because often in this line of work, all you hear is doom and gloom all day. So yeah, any best practices or case studies you want to share?
1: Yeah. I I mean, we have really great examples across the entire membership of companies who are leveraging these tools in different ways. So, you know, you have manufacturers who are leveraging the tools, not only within their own facilities, but also actually starting to engage kind of in the next tier, right? Which is really great to see. So how are they actually engaging with that, you know, tier two facilities, et cetera, um, to help understand overall impact both from a facility st- from an environmental standpoint as well as a social uh, standpoint. We have brands and retailers who are actually leveraging tools like the HIG FEM at scale across their, you know, entire portfolio and have leveraged them year over year and show that, you know, facilities are actually improving in terms of energy reduction, water usage reduction and chemical usage reduction. So I think those are really important case studies to, to demonstrate how the tools you know drive value across uh, the entire value chain. And then we have brands who are leveraging tools like the HIG um, Material MSI, so the Material Sustainability Index, to assess their entire material portfolio towards helping them to understand and set scope three targets. So I think like each of these examples in terms of how companies are leveraging the tools are all great key studies and show how different companies of different sizes are using the tools to really understand you know where they are and where they need to drive more progress.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And again, I'm just always in awe of how the industry is really coming together and the SAC community is just so supportive amongst each other. I just think that's just so great and it's so needed if we really want to raise the bar and change things. And also, I would love to hear your thoughts because I know that a lot of times there's a lot of backlash as soon as you put sustainability on your website. And of course, there's brands that are greenwashing and there are brands that are genuinely trying to do good. And so if we're in a situation where a genuine brand that is trying to be conscious, is facing some backlash, do you have any tips or things that you've seen work well with your members or members of the SAC community?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the key impetuses of the SAC and the work that we're doing is around how do you help companies not only understand their impact, but then be able to communicate that across, you know, the value chain from a, both a B2B perspective as well as a a B2C perspective eventually in ways that are both credible and are substantiated, right? So for us, it's, you know, putting trusted, credible data in the hands of decision makers is key, is a key key theory of change for us of how you actually drive this kind of progress across the industry. And so for companies, I think what's really important is that one, you absolutely, you actually understand your impact, right? Um, that you're being, you know, truthful about where you are on your journey um and authentic about that. I think it's really important to let people know kind of what do you know, what don't you know? Where are you? Where are you going? And then if you are making a claim, what's really important is that it's substantiated, that you actually have the data to be able to back that up and in a way that is is credible. And so, you know, that's a the work that we're doing as we move forward is, is really trying to help companies, one, not only understand that impact, but also looking ahead to how can you actually credibly communicate that information to you know, other decision makers, whether it be policy makers or consumers, et cetera, in order to, to drive decision making. Um, but I think it's really important that one, you know, you understand what your impact is, um, that you have the data to be able to back up any claim that you're making, and that you're also clarifying kind of the the extent of that, right? So what does that entail? What doesn't it entail? And I think those are really important aspects of, of any sort of communication.
0: Yeah. I am in the exact same wavelength as you. I talk about that all the time on our podcast. I did not pay Amina to say this, <laughs> but yes, like exactly. Like if you have the numbers and the data to back it up and you're transparent about it, that goes so much further than some brand that's just shouting that they're green until they're blue in the face, right? Like it just goes so much further. And so I know for you and your team, you see so many different brands. Are there any innovations that you're really excited about? I
1: think there are two parts of. discussion that the industry needs to be having. One is around how do you reduce impact with all the things we already know how to do. And I think that's really important. And it's something I talk about a lot, right? Because I think there's already a lot that we know how to do right now, whether it's regards to, you know, materials, whether it's regards to processes, um, you know, engagement with supply chain that I think as an industry, we absolutely should be doing regardless of all the innovations that are out there and need to happen. On the other side, I think Everyone knows that we're not going to just be able to kind of look at how we reduce impact with all the things we know how to do. The innovation has to be part of it, right? But I think those two things need to happen simultaneously. And sometimes I'm concerned that, you know, we talk too much around, okay, you know, next gen materials and like next gen processes. And that is great. But the reality is that given the urgency of the situation, we have to be able to do both at the same time, right? We have to be able to look at how do you decarbonize, you know, the supply chain. How do you look at every material that currently exists and look at those pathways for decarbonization, while we're also looking at what new materials, innovations in processes, etc., need to happen in order for us to get to the remainder of that, you know, 45 or 50 percent, um, whatever those targets end up, you know, kind of being for either a company or the industry as a whole. And so I think it's really important that we do both. And I continue to tell people that innovation is great and it's absolutely needed and it's necessary. At the same time, I don't want us to lose sight of all the things that we know how to do right now that we can and should be investing time, energy, and effort into.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so for companies and brand owners listening with limited time and resources, if you had to put a percentage around improving existing processes and keeping an eye on innovation, like how would you split your time? And do you have any recommendations on how to actually execute that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, there's so much that can be done just with existing, you know, processes, etc. And so and part of the Part of what the HIG tools are really meant to do is to help people actually understand what that impact is across that across their value chain, right? So that you can be much more strategic and targeted in how you start to address that impact. So, you know, if it is your material portfolio, then looking at that assessing the impact and kind of understanding, okay, well, what shifts may we need to make here towards different, better materials, you know, to to help us actually reach our goals, or if it's within the the suppliers that you work with, you know, how do you understand what those hotspots are and where you're targeted, where you can be targeted in strategic in terms of addressing that impact. So I think it's really important to obviously have the data first, and then to use that data to help you make strategic decisions. Because as you mentioned, companies don't always have the time, resources, etc., to be able to do all of it all at once. So the data and the insights become even that much more important to figure out where do you spend your time, resources, and effort. And you know, it may be that uh, you know, material innovation needs to happen to address part of it. But at the same time, there's probably a lot that companies can do right now to actually start that journey towards um, that impact reduction.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of times founders and visionaries will get distracted by the next big shiny thing. And so it's important just to take a step back, just breathe and really assess where you're at.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, the fashion industry is likes that kind of next gen thing, you know, what is, you know, the, the trends, et cetera. But I think from a sustainability standpoint, it's really important to understand what can we do with everything that we know right now. And I think it's a lot. And then how do we also look towards investment, innovation, et cetera, to help us get the rest of the way. Um, And I, you know, to me, it's, it's a, we have to kind of do both, but I would, I would tend more towards these are all the things we know how to do right now. So let's just get on with that. And let's do that. So we can actually drive progress while we look ahead to the future.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so another thing too, is there's a lot of policies happening right now. I know in Europe, there's a lot and in New York, there's been something, uh, some as well. And do you have any insights or things you'd like to share with brands that maybe are worried about trying to fit into these policies or don't really know how to keep up with everything?
1: Yeah, there is definitely a lot coming down the pipeline. And one of the things I often tell companies is that it's coming very quickly and companies should start preparing, you know, whether you're looking at uh, here in the US and New York or, um, you know, due diligence in the EU, um, it's definitely moving very quickly and much more quickly than I think I've seen in, you know, over the past decade of, of working in this industry, which means that companies should be preparing now. Right. They should be preparing now for what that regulation is likely going to look like. And I think a big part of that is, I mean, I probably keep coming back to this a lot, but part of that is just understanding your impact, right? Because that regulation is going to require companies to. Know a lot more about their supply chain than many companies do right now, Um, and to be able to accurately report on those impacts, both from a social and an environmental perspective. So, my guidance to companies is they, you know, for those companies who haven't actually started assessing their impact across the value chain, like they need to start now. That regulation is coming. And yes, it's hard to kind of keep track of, but it's one of the things that the SEC is obviously like highly engaged in. And, you know, we are. Trying to to not only understand where policy is going, but we're also trying to work, you know, with regulators and policymakers to help them understand where the industry currently is, the work that's already been done, and how we ensure that we can develop harmonized policy that helps the industry move forward. Um, I think one of the concerns, and you know, I think this was has been talked about a lot in the in the past couple of months, is as policy starts to ramp up really quickly is a lack of harmonized legislation, you know, whether it's in the EU or, or globally. And that creates a really challenging situation for companies because then you have this patchwork approach that they're not only trying to understand, but they're trying to comply with. And sometimes there's not always you know the the guidance or the clarity needed to industry to help companies figure out how they comply with it, and I think that that's you know that actually slows progress down at a time where I think we need to be speeding up. And so you know we welcome you know legislation, but we also want to ensure that that legislation is you know harmonized to the extent that it can be, that it's clear that there's proper guidance for companies, and that there's an understanding of you know where companies are, what work has already been done by the industry, and how we actually drive progress forward. So, you know, I, I think it it has to be, to your earlier point around collaboration, it has to be one of those things that the industry and um, policymakers and regulators are actually engaging in dialogue with so we can figure out how we move as quickly as possible um, forward together.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm in the very same Vain as you. I think it's great. This is finally coming and this is coming very quickly, but also I worry about the execution of it and how it's all going to fall into place. I just hope that it causes more good than, you know, harm because we just want to make sure that companies know what they need and it's not patchwork to your point. And so, yeah, hopefully we can harmonize and we can really just collaborate to your point. Yeah. And I have some fun questions just selfishly because I know that you have so much going on. Um, can you maybe share some challenges you're dealing with and how you're combating that? And also just maybe what your morning or evening routine is just to stay productive? Because I know you must have such a big team and you have so much going on. So just selfishly, I want to know all the tips.
1: Yeah. So some of the challenges I think for for us at the moment are Really like one is around the, the the lack of kind of primary data, you know, and this kind of keeps coming up over and over and like multiple conversations around, okay, well, you know, how do we actually drive the industry to to get better primary data um, that can be leveraged and that insight used to actually drive action? So I think that's going to be really important par- conversation, not just for the SEC, but for the industry as a whole. And I think that that's something that, you know, my team and I have been talking quite a, quite a lot about over, over the past couple of months. The other thing is a little bit of what I touched on, which is, you know, this, um, the need for harmonized legislation, I think is really important. It's also something we're talking about and we're engaging in because we believe it's so important and it is a critical unlock to helping the industry move forward. But to your point, you know, if we have this patchwork and it becomes something that actually is more of a deterrent, then, You know, my concern is that it doesn't actually allow the the pathway for the industry to move forward. And it creates more confusion for companies at a time when I think we're really trying to ensure like cohesive collective action. So those are, I think, some of the biggest challenges that we have and ways that the SEC is working on that is is really around, you know, how do we leverage the tools and the community that we have to, you know, drive kind of calls to action to the industry to to get better data to help support um, some of these initiatives. And also how do we engage collectively with policymakers and regulators to ensure and support that harmonized approach that we believe is so important and so relevant. And then we're growing quite a bit as a team. So on our personal front, I'd say it's really great that our team is growing and that's good to see. But, you know, obviously we've got team members all over the world. So from a personal Standpoint, you know, to your earlier question of just like how do you grow a team um, rapidly, you know, how do you kind of build that culture, you know, how do you ensure that connectivity? And over the past couple of years, I think that's you know, with COVID and and the lack of being able to meet in person has just been a personal challenge for for so many companies, and also I think within the SEC community. So we're really looking forward to bringing everyone together in November in Singapore for our first annual meeting and. 3 years and that's going to be great and it's just a great opportunity to bring the coalition and this community together and really talk about some of the issues and the challenges and and how we work towards that together.
0: Yeah, totally. And so any productivity tips or any hacks or anything you want to share? I'm sure you must have so many meetings and so many things you're doing. Just I know running a brand and running a company in general is very very similar so anything you want to share?
1: Productivity hacks. That's a really good one. You know, I I don't know that I have any any specific hacks that are different than like any other people necessarily. I have a global team, so I'm often on, you know, different, different time zones. I'm often doing EU meetings in the morning and sometimes Asia Pacific calls at night. And so for me, what's really important is to ensure that I've got some time in the middle for for me, whether it's to work out and, you know, to hang with my kids and try to create as much balance as I can, which is challenging as I assume it is for a lot of people, but I think it is important to to do that. And I think the other thing is trying to make sure that we're really focused on the things that we believe are going to drive the most impact. So often, you know, I'll talk to my team and as we look at the work we're doing and the strategy, it's always around, okay, how do we how do we ensure that this is the thing that's going to help us drive the most impact across the work that we're doing and trying to be laser focused. And that's always hard because there's so much work to be done, but we're constantly looking and trying to evaluate the work that we're doing to see are there things that we could pair back? Are there things we need to do differently? And I think that that exercise is really important. You have to be you know, agile and you have to be nimble. Things are, to your, to your earlier point, they're changing really rapidly. So being responsive to those changes is important. So I don't know that, that I or any, anyone on my team has got it all figured out, but I do think that those are some of the things that I, I think about that are important in this work as we move forward.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, no one has it all figured out. I like to say that we're all building the plane while we're flying it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's also been uh, very true of the SAC since the very beginning. So I think, you know, kind of agility has been really important. And the iterative nature of this work has been really important too.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, I want to be respectful of your time so we can start to wrap up. But what's next for the SAC? What are you excited about?
1: Yeah, so I will say, as I mentioned, I'm I'm excited to to bring the community together. We have our first in person meeting coming up, and what's exciting is that we have one day that's for members and one day that's actually open to the public. So we're excited to invite you know manufacturers, brands, retailers, stakeholders, other NGOs to the conversation at a pretty what we think is a, an inflection point for the industry and in how we think about some of these issues and challenges and move forward. So that'll be hosted in Singapore on November first and second. I'm really excited about that and in terms of the work you know we continue to evolve our tools and looking ahead I think that we've spent the first decade really developing the tools and, you know, kind of building these first iterations of them. And now we're shifting into this next phase of the coalition where we're looking at how we help support companies to understand the data and insights and really drive collective action at scale. I think that's one of the both incredible opportunities uh, and responsibilities that we have as an organization is to try to help move the industry in an aligned way towards, you know, active action that reduces impact and, and has a positive uh, you know a positive effect on on both people and the planet and then I think the the other thing is really around transparency. You know, we talked a little bit about you know, how do you ensure that you are can make credible claims, you know, not just from a B2B perspective, but ultimately also to consumers, because consumers are, I think, a really big lever of change within this whole ecosystem. When you talk about brands, retailers, manufacturers, you know, policymakers, et cetera, I think consumers have a role to play. And I think it's going to be important to ensure that they have trusted credible data. I think the challenge is How do you figure out what that pathway looks like and how do you align on that? And so um, it's definitely a lot more work to do, but I think it's also really exciting. And, you know, hopefully the SAC can help uh, in terms of bringing the industry together um, like we have since the beginning and helping to really drive that conversation, but also support companies and how they get there.
0: Yeah, that's great. And so thank you for all the work that you and your team do in the industry. I think it's so amazing. And for folks that aren't already following you or supporting you, what are your links?
1: Oh yeah. So you can go to apparelcoalition.org, our website and, you know, connect with us there as well as kind of, you know, social media. We also are on LinkedIn, but yeah, we'd also love to hopefully connect with many people in person in Singapore or hopefully at an event um, in the coming year. So yeah, we'll, we'll make sure that our website is updated with all the latest in terms of events and we just look forward to, to connecting with folks.
0: Yeah, I actually really would love to attend as well. So is it a ticketed event or how does that work? Do you know yet?
1: It is. It's a ticketed event and I can send you information.
0: Great. Sounds great. Yeah. And we'll have everything linked in the show notes for everyone as well for easy access.
1: Well, thanks, Selena. We appreciate the opportunity and look forward to chatting again soon.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amina. Thank you for spending your time with us, sharing all your knowledge with us. And just, yeah, thank you again for all the work that you and your team do. And that concludes this episode. If you enjoyed it, please take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories, and tag us at Recloseted. Make sure you subscribe to our Recloseted radio podcast on your preferred podcast platform so that new episodes are automatically downloaded and you don't miss any of our free resources. Lastly, don't forget to rate our podcast five stars and leave us a positive review. That really helps us and continues to allow us to provide this podcast for free. Together, let's write the harmful fashion industry.